welcome to a special episode of the Ministry of Pod. I'm P.H. Trey. In celebration of Arapea's first ever Media Day, the Ministry of Pod sat down with media moguls from Arapean history. In this episode, Sopo sits down with Calvin Coolidge to chat about the Organization of Independent Media, aka the OIM. Sopo and Calvin also talk about how Calvin got started in Arapean media. Okay, Calvin, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I just want to get your thoughts on media in Europia. Could you tell me about a bit just about what interested you in writing articles, getting involved with media, your background there? Yeah, well, you know, it's a pleasure to be here, Sopo, big fan of the pod. When I started writing articles in Europia, it was essentially a way to just explore the space. People have talked about how they have been integrated into our system. And there's a lot of ways that people adapt. Sometimes they reach out to you know a specific mentor. Sometimes they just really dive into a ministry. Um, for the newer people, you know, they just spend a lot of time in Eurochat. Back when I joined in mid 2014, we had a version of Eurochat, which is you know our, our Skype room. Um, but I didn't know about that that first week that I joined, or if I had, I just wasn't interested at all in getting involved in that. I was just like, I, I, I've been on nation states, the site for like a year at that point, And it took me for forever to even get to the forum. So it's like, I'm going to be on the forum. I'm going to explore what I can there, see what I get out of this. And then we'll talk about anything else. So to explore the forum, I, I thought like, okay, what's interesting around here? What can I really delve into? It's like, uh, the Senate, it's really interesting. That's something I think I really am fascinated by. Citizens Assembly, that was really exciting because there's a lot of debate discussion there and some heavy ideas being discussed. Uh, however, as it was like my first week in the region, I didn't quite understand in a, a lot of detail what the issues discussed were or how they mattered. So I was like, all right, I'm doing a lot of research into these issues. I might as well just write an article here because I'm sure that other people probably want to know this stuff too. It seems like it's kind of confusing. Uh, so that's what I did. And the first article I wrote in July of 2014, which is again, just like a week or so into my time here, was understanding the EAAC, a historically easy to understand and very transparent topic <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's just something that was being discussed at the time in the Senate. The EAAC, of course, is something that really nobody truly understands until they're in there. So the article doesn't go super in-depth, but I'm pretty proud of like the base-level knowledge that you can gain just kind of reading through it. It talks about my strategy, uh, which is just like looking at the law. What does that mean? Breaking down into definitions and then going deeper. And then the next day I did the same thing with the criminal code, which is something that had been discussed in the Senate for a long time at this point. I was like, let's see what that's about. And I just got really good feedback from people. People were like, this is really great. I'm glad that you're taking an interest in our region. You're writing really well. It seems like you've got a future here. And I was like, okay, great. And then uh, there was some turmoil going on in the Ministry of Communications at that time. The EBC hadn't put out a lot of articles. The minister hadn't been super active. So I kind of came around to the right time. Um, I was recruited to join the ministry by the president, Krakatopia. Shout out to Kraken. And he's like, I see you know, you're writing all these articles. Why don't you get a little more involved? Join the ministry. Help me out. Help the region out. It's like, all right, sounds like a deal. And then you know, one thing led to another. And I've been in professional European 
media one way or the other since then. So you've participated from both sides, from private media to the EBC. Do you think there's a conflict between those two things, between private media and our sort of public media? It's hard to say. I feel like a conflict is probably the wrong word, or at least the word I wouldn't use. A lot of stories could be covered by either one of them, and I don't think anyone would bat an eye. There are certain things that have kind of fallen from one area to the other, and it's kind of just tradition at this point. For instance, like speculation polls about who should be president or that sort of stuff has kind of always been private media. But there's no reason that you could write an article about that in the EBC and that would be a problem. I mean, that it doesn't go against like the charter or whatever, as much as there even is one. Um, if you have an interesting idea, publish it, regardless of whether you have a paper, which is, of course, very easy to set up or not. You know, you just some people are just more comfortable working with a team in the EBC or, you know, even in the team in private media, I guess. Whatever people want to do, it doesn't really matter to me where they publish it. I know a lot of people have like, there's a line in the sand of like what we should have public media cover, what we should have private media cover. To me, it's never really been an issue of like what should be covered um, by who. It's just when I'm Ministry of Communications, I think like, okay, if there's certain stories that should be covered. I have the power to make that happen. But if I see that private media is doing something, I'm going to let them have it. But a lot of times the stories that like need to be covered aren't the most interesting ones, which is a long running problem for the EBC of like, well, this very important event that needs to be preserved for history just happened. Let's get a little write up about that. But the thing is, at the time, everyone already knows about it because it's a big historic event that everybody's already dissected on their own time. So it's good to have it for the record, but it's not going to get a lot of interesting engagement. Whereas private media, people don't feel that pressure of like, I need to write about these things that are happening. It's like, I'm going to write about what I want to write about, which is probably something nobody else is thinking about or something that like people are thinking about, but the data is that they're going to gather is more interesting than what people could just observe themselves, whether it's in a presidential speculation poll or going back through historical data or some other sort of poll that is a little more fanciful or whimsical that the EBC has traditionally stared away from. But again, there's no real rationale for why other than just they're busy, I guess, at this point. As you mentioned, there there have been a lot of debates about what the EBC is and sort of what its purpose is and what's appropriate for it to cover under President Darkness. They didn't do any opinion polling on the Senate or the executive, which they've picked up again. And it sounds, you know, to put words in your mouth, like you see the EBC's role as making sure that everything that is newsworthy is covered uh, and that the EBC takes care of it if private media isn't already doing it. Would you say that's fair? That's at least how I view it. Yeah. I mean, that's how I've approached the job in the, I don't know how many times I've been Minister of Communications, three, I think three times. That's the, the motivation that I have. Definitely a lot more pronounced in my earlier days, probably than the later ones, just because the EBC also just to track like the progression of, at least through my eyes, the EBC became a lot more professional in a lot of ways that a lot of people have talked about ad nauseum. But you know, it's it's worth talking about again, I think, is just when I joined in 2014, the EBC, like I said, was super inactive. We were lucky to get anything happening uh, in there at all, any sort of article. People were lucky to have, you know, whether it's just a faux news article, whether it's like a little EBC wire, which is how that how I got started there. It's because like we needed some sort of content and it's like, well, this seems easy enough to start with. There wasn't a whole 
writer's code and there wasn't a team of like active people super willing to get involved you really had to pull teeth of course we still have that problem to this day and not just in the ebc but a lot of different areas of government and maybe more widespread but that's a whole other topic now i think the ebc isn't in that like publish anything mode and even if they are in that like well we're desperate for content they're never so desperate for content that they put out like <laughs> something really really short or something that's like just for fun and not super professional because they get pushback for that. In some ways, I think that's a bit of a mistake um, that people have that pushback because the EBC should be active because our region is active. And if one is active and not the other, that's a problem. So you want them to both be active at the same time, even if that means you're not getting like super high quality content all the time. Because again, even when you put in all sorts of effort with that high quality content, you're not necessarily rewarded by that for the EBC a lot of times. I think people need to understand the motivations behind why people do or don't do things for public media. So I'm curious, in a world where, let's say we have just a really robust private media and it's covering anything that is newsworthy, it's doing polling, it's you know kind of covering the basis of what we expect to see out of media. Do you think there's still a role for the EBC in that kind of world? Is there something that is particular to the EBC that private media can't do? I mean, there's a lot of assumptions there. Assuming a, that we have a super active and efficient private media is huge. <laughs> uh, because in my experience, even when we've had a really active private media, a lot of stuff still falls through the cracks. There's never enough time to talk about everything in Europia. So I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where the private media is so active that they're covering everything that everyone is talking about from all angles. So the EBC will always have a place just because it's just another active newspaper. And a lot of people are, for one reason or another, never going to write for their own private newspaper. They're never going to make a private newspaper. They're a lot more comfortable working as a team. And those sort of people, the private media does cover like 80% of the stories they're never going to look back and say like, oh, well, I guess it's time to shift over. Like the private media is where it's at. It's just EPC is always going to have a place because it's just where a lot of people are comfortable and it it, it needs to catch the whatever amount is left. If there's all the big stories are taken, they can always dive in a little deeper. Like they can do historical archive stuff too. They can go back through the history, go back through the data. They can do fun polls and stuff too that people aren't thinking about. So no, I, I don't think the EBC will ever be rendered completely defunct um, just because Europia is so multifaceted that there's always something more you can talk about. Okay, I'm going to pivot a little bit back to the world of private media, uh, specifically to the organization of independent media, which is something that I actually started myself back in... Uh, 2014, as it turns out. So not, not too long after you joined, I believe. And at a certain point, sometime in there, I fell inactive, and then you took over this project. So for those who don't know, the Organization of Independent Media was uh, essentially created to ease collaboration between uh, the different... Uh, private media outlets, and also to coordinate larger projects. I think the most well-known of those is uh, the European of the Year Award that has been going on since 2014. Uh, you recently established the Best Private Media 
as a quarterly enterprise. What drove you to want to take on the OIM and and what value do you think it adds to the region? Yeah, I mean, you're the perfect person to have this discussion with uh, because as you said, you were the person that first started it. I, I feel like you know, <laughs> maybe better than anyone else, um, running the OIM is more in theory than in practice um, because what it essentially boils down to is like starting a thread and saying like, who's interested in doing this? And then you get people or you don't get people, which is, I guess, in a lot of ways similar to being a minister, but obviously a minister is a lot more hands-on. They actually have a dedicated staff. OIM, we're already doing a completely volunteer game. Private media is volunteering on top of volunteering. It's the only thing that we have in our region that's like private sector, really, right? Like you can say Republic Square maybe or like Religions Row or that kind of stuff. But like media is like the crown jewel of like if you want to do something in Europia, but you don't want to be a part of the government for whatever reason, private media is where you make your your name. That doesn't describe a lot of people because we're playing nation states. So if you come here because you want you have some interest in government, why would you join a government game and not play in the government, right? There are there are people that do that though. But the point I'm making is like you really, really have to be motivated to write a private media article. So you can't ask a lot from people beyond what they're already willing to commit to. So you kind of just have to spur on the motivation that's already there, capitalize on what people are already excited to do and just structure it a little bit uh when you left private media was still fine regardless of what the oim is or isn't private media will continue to exist and have its peaks and valleys but what oim can do is give something structure an election's coming up and we want to make sure that we have you know x y and z a poll a debate and platform analysis oim has set those goals are we going to achieve all of them no, probably not. But somebody's trying to get that done. It's a similar mindset, at least on my end, to being Minister of Communications. Is like those stories that need to be covered here. We have the power to do that. Let's start thinking about covering those stories. You just have a lot less power as leader, quote unquote, of OIM than Minister of Communications. And I like quote unquote because like I'm not really the leader. Nobody told me I was in charge. I have no more power than anybody else in OIM to do anything. I just am, I was just the most active person there for a little bit, started the threads and organized stuff, but anybody can do that at any time. It's a, it's a position that's not really a position that people have kind of put on me more than I put on myself, but that was the motivation at least was like, same sort of thing. Let's get some stories covered that aren't being covered. Um, European of the year is one that I really, really like. It's probably my favorite thing that we do in media and all of media, private, public, whatever because it's the best kind of story. It's honoring the people that put in the work. It's a personal connection that everybody really loves in Europia. Raising people up is something we don't do enough. Taking the time to like go back through people's year and write really nice things and have good analysis about like, this is what this person does, why it matters, and giving them their due is just a really, really great thing that I'm so glad that we do. And if nothing else, OIM existing for that sole purpose is enough to make me happy because it makes a lot of people happy. And that is pretty much all that it has done for most of its history. Uh, and I think we missed one year in there. And by we, I mean, it's probably my fault since this was sort of my thing until you 
had the mantle foisted upon you, if you will. Kind of looking back, you can see that we <laughs> we traded a few times, like it eventually became you. But there were a couple other people who were sort of running it for <laughs> small periods of time in there. You nail it on the head when you say that it's it's just hard to get people to like volunteer on top of volunteering in this type of way. If the OIM could do more, I think I had a, a sort of grand vision, as I often tend to, that, you know, it could uphold journalistic standards and kind of be like a professional organization for writers and mentorship and all things like that. Obviously, none of that really came to fruition. But if you could build up the OIM somehow or or have it do something else, do you think there's some other niche for private media uh, that the OIM could fill that we're not doing already? You mentioned it already, but the best of private media series um, that the Media Excellence Committee was already an expansion that I'm really proud that the OIM has been able to sustain and will probably keep doing at least, I mean, at least I hope so, whether I'm running it or not, because a lot of times, like I said, we don't give people their due. We have Euro Choice at the end of the year that honors what people do um, in a lot of different ways, but it really just honors the winner. Like, it's obviously nice to be nominated for anything, but it's not really an honor in the same way to be nominated because it's like all, all it has to be is like you can nominate yourself and that's just as good winning is obviously a huge achievement and we've had a lot of people over the years just burn out for all sorts of reasons and as we've already discussed people who put in work in private media is volunteering on top of volunteering it's a lot of extra work without a lot of extra gain even if you do win a Euro Choice Award at the end of the year, you may not even care by that point. So like I wrote that article eight months ago, who cares? Or more realistically, because it's Zero Choice, I wrote that article two weeks ago, <laughs> who cares? That expansion to give people their due more in the moment every couple of months and say like, look, look what these people are doing. It's really great stuff. Private media is so many different things. You know, if nobody else cares, we care. OIM is here to support private media help you out in that way. So that was already a great step that I'm really glad has become more entrenched. Beyond that, I think the support that we could do is, you know, the grand vision that you you laid out that it's it's technically there. Like if anybody were to ask anybody in private media for help, they'd give it. But like we don't advertise that aspect. We could probably advertise that a little better. I don't know if anyone would take us up on it because Ministry of Communications also exists and does a lot of the same stuff. And they have those really amazing guides that have been written by so many people over the years, including me, including you, including DH, you know, all sorts of people who know what they're talking about in European media and media in general. Like if you want to learn about this stuff, there's already a lot of passive resources that could do the job that maybe we don't do enough to advertise those anyway, but I don't know exactly what OIM could provide beyond what is already there, directing people in terms of resources. But I mean, it's a nice idea. I think just having maybe a little more structure when we should be active is good to like get people to say like, to gear up, like everyone knows when European of the year time comes around, you know, December, January, they're like, all right, even if I've never been active all year in my private media, I'll be active here to do this project. If we had another one of those, at some other point in the year, I think that'd be good. You know, maybe in the summer, that'd be, you know, at least two times a year, we get really guaranteed media activity from the private sector. That'd be great. I don't know what that project looks like, but 
you know, clearly we can do it once a year, why not twice a year? And then maybe from there three times a year, They're like, you know, that having big events and stuff like that is something that we've relegated a lot to just like ministries and stuff like that for good reason. But there's no reason that we couldn't do more of those in private media. And maybe that's what I would expand on. So as a connoisseur of private media and somebody who's been involved in it for a long time, aside from the Panda's Pen, of course, your own outlet, do you have a favorite media outlet in Europia, either, you know, still operating today or one from the past? There's been a lot of great media in Europia over the years. Unfortunately, <laughs> some of the best are from some of the worst people. But before I do that, I mean, I look, obviously ENN, has great people running it and it's very great, but everyone knows that that's not very exciting. ERI, same thing, really great outlet, but everyone knows that. So I'm not going to spend any time praising them. We know that those two outlets are great. Historically, I think the, the ones that are run by not so great people, but I think really were fun. The, the Globe was a really, really fun outlet to have um, from Salorni. I recommend people go back and read it. There's a lot of toxic stuff in there, but there's also some really interesting analysis of European affairs and WA stuff and some stuff from Balder that's like really like they were a good writer um, among their many many flaws um, is not writing they were very good at that unfortunately same thing with Anumia his the Marble Tribune was like the first paper I really really got into when I was reading uh, European private media when I first started he had funny satire and that kind of stuff that was like oh this is this is interesting but uh, of course the people behind it you can't phrase so Beyond that, other outlets that I've really liked over the years, I, well, actually, current ones that I really like, Monkey's Musings. Monkey is constantly underrated in a lot of ways. Monkey's Musings, I think, has flown under a lot of people's radar. The work that he does there is really, really great. Deserves more more shout outs. So Monkey's Musings, you know, give it a read. <laughs> and unfortunately, historical. Another person that's not great, but had a really great media presence. I forget what their paper was called, but people can find it. The person who at the time we thought was XIV14, who was actually Ninja Kittens, who was actually a complete poser, wrote really nice historical analysis. People long ago in European history uh, that gave a lot of really in-depth insight. It's a shame that so many people are terrible and also write really well. But you know, that's the curse of Europia. We draw in a lot of talent. And sometimes that um, that talent comes at a, at a at a cost. Other outlets that don't have problematic people, I can't think of at this time. But those are those are the ones that I spent the most time reading, probably throughout my my time in Euro. I'm surprised we didn't get a shout out there for uh, Kraken's Lounge, but uh, I assume that Kraken won't listen to this in order to be offended by it. I really I really considered it. It's really well. Look, it's really good for what it is it's just not my cup of tea <laughs> um, because it's like reviews about like whiskey or whatever and like interviewing people about like gentlemanly behavior and it's like look i know kraken's into that stuff and more power to him i'm gonna read the article and like you know when the like system was established i'd give it a like it's never gonna be something i'm like really pouring over in the same way um that i would other stuff but yeah it's quality it's really quality so that's that's definitely honorable mention are there any articles that live rent-free in your mind that you can, that just immediately, if you're trying to think of an example of a great private media or EBC article, just 
is first and foremost right there. To keep shouting out Kraken, I mentioned faux news. I'm probably the only person that really mentions faux news with any sort of regularity anymore, which is sad because it's definitely my favorite series from the EBC. Probably a bad thing to say. You know, satire is hard, hard to get right. I don't know how how well any of them have aged per se. I haven't gone back and looked at them, so I don't subscribe to any outdated ideas if they're there. But comedy is something that a lot of people don't get right online, especially in nation states of Europa. Faux News is the really one of the few places where they get it right. Um, so shout out to Kraken for doing that in the EBC. Um, that's always my favorite articles to just point back to, unless they have any problematic content, in which case I do not have to say that for any post before like 2016 or whatever we're all we're all animals beyond that i have to say hem we all know does amazing media analysis uh in, in his election stuff but something he doesn't do anymore but he used to do all the time and i know you love this too <laughs> because you still reference it as well his obviously he does his debate live blogs still now but he used to do election night live blogs for years where he had his really corny panel <laughs> of like just random political figures like John Major from CNN and uh, uh, Paul Krugman, <laughs> just like real life figures plopped into European landscape talking about Senate elections and presidential elections and like different constituencies and like <laughs> that world building role play quasi like all that stuff is really, really fun to me. And nobody does it better than him in all facets of European life, whether that's a Supreme Chancellor speech or posting a really long thread in the Republic Square or in his ENN. All of Hem's in-character election coverage is one of the hallmarks of uh, Europia, so I, I can't praise that enough. I think those election blogs are like a relic of 2007 Europia, because if you go back and you read some of those old posts, there's stuff like that happening everywhere. And then him just sort of held on to it. And I, I mean, he's self-aware, obviously. And, you know, we find it amusing. I love that he does it. Uh, but it's one of those things where, like, if somebody joined now and was doing stuff like that, I think we'd be like, mm, <laughs> are you 12? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, well, look, I, I, okay, to shout out someone else who... Um, is both newer and has nailed the self-aware satire thing. Virilian had a really strong Arnhelm news, like real news series, like surprisingly that like initially started out as like, hmm, I don't know what's going on here. You're probably just showing your age, being a little immature. But then like, as he kept going, it's like, oh, this is actually kind of good satire. You really understand like the world of Europia that we've built here. And he's talking about like all the sort of different manner of things in a way that's like, this is actually like legitimately funny. Uh, there's some real depth in this satire here. Good work for Rillian. So, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. And I want to jump back to something that you'd brought up earlier uh, that I think needs to be touched on in any conversation about media and Calvin Coolidge. Uh, and that is The Wire, uh, which you ran for, let's see, how long <laughs> did you run The Wire? Four years. So that's four years of daily posts summarizing basically everything of note and some things of not note uh, happening in the region. And I got to say, that is a level of dedication that I don't think I've ever had to anything in this region. I don't think there is anything that I've done consistently every day for four years. And I think that's what makes us so different. Um, 
because I also can't recruit daily for more than like a month without getting bored and then forgetting to do it. So what drove you to maintain the wire for that long? Was it just a habit or did you think that it was really valuable for the reason or just something else? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, plus, like I said at the start, it was out of necessity in the fact that just like I came into the EBC, I was recruited by the EBC by President Kraken. He's just like, nothing's happening. We need something to happen. Get something out there. And I was like, okay, uh, the easiest thing to do is the EBC wire. That's just catching people up on the daily events. I can do that. No problem. If nothing else gets out in a day, I'll do this. Because back then, I had the mindset <laughs> that I definitely don't have anymore. But I think a lot of new people have is like, something needs to be happening every day, all the time for people to take you seriously, which is why I wrote two really, uh, for my standards, I think a lot of European standards, long articles, the in-depth articles for my private media outlet on day one and day two of my citizenship, just because of like, I need to show these people that I'm legit. So the same attitude carried over to when I became active in Ministry of Communications. So I went back to the EBC wire and I saw it had been last updated like two weeks ago before I got there. And I was like, let's just go recap all of those days and put it in one big mega post to show people that I care. Like I'm actually going to revive this thing. Let's go. So it was a huge update on day one, day two, a little, a little less substantive, but like, you know, Oh, there's a Navy raid on this blah, blah, blah. And like, there was a new announcement from the president that he's running for reelection, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, you know, you keep the same news. That's like kind of relevant day to day. A lot of it's just kind of copying, pasting the same sort of stuff, tweaking little new announcements from different ministries or senators or occasionally like role play announcements like so-and-so got married and blah, 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 you know, little fun stuff. The routine of it sunk in pretty quick as just like, all right, first thing I do when I log on to Europia every day is update the wire. Definitely became more of a chore as the years went on. But that drive to like show that I care about media and I care about what's going on never faded entirely. So I would have felt like a failure if I skipped any day. So that was driving me. And then I did also think did actually help people. And I've been told that by a lot of people that it did actually help them because eventually we added in a spot into the leave of absence subform that redirected people to the EBC wires. Like see what you missed, catch up here, you know, like it, it helped people to do that. And the forums maybe were less confusing or equally as confusing back then as they are now. So people having a centralized place where they can just go and see like, all right, what's going on did help people. We tried to recreate that years and years later with the, you know, we can review stuff that ended up not lasting. Um, because I think trying to review a whole week is a lot more time consuming than just doing it day by day, but nobody wants to put in the grind of doing it day by day, including myself, which is why I don't do it anymore. Um, it's one of the many changes that I had to do to my routine when I left Europe and then came back after a year or so. It's just like, I'm not going to do the wire anymore. It's just, that's too grinding. I'll instead do recruiting, you know, like I've replaced it with a new vice, but still, um, it does help people. It did help people. It was a way to prove my worth long-term in the region. So both of those things combined, plus just a legitimate desire to help out the ministry of communications and all those things together were what motivated me. And of course, I think it it met its demise when we did the forum transfer and 
there wasn't like a clear place to put it where people would see it. And there have been discussions about bringing it back, and and it was close. I think a couple of times. I think Dark, you know, found a way, or may have found a way, or is still trying to find a way to make it visible. I don't really remember anymore. Uh, but do you think there would be a place for the wire in Europia today? And more importantly, do you think it's it's worth as somebody who did it for four years? Do you think it's worth someone's time to be putting that together every day? Well, <laughs> it's tough to answer that question for anything in, in Europia nation states. What's really worth anybody's time? Is any of this worth our time? If you zoom out far enough, the answer is going to be no. We all spend way too much time here chatting in Eurochat, um, making really long posts and debate threads that nobody's ever going to read and just getting upset at each other over you know silly stuff. On a cosmic level, it's not worth our time. No, um, on an in-game level, sure, I think it is worth your time. It doesn't have. It shouldn't probably be one person consistently for four years. It should probably alternate between a couple of people who or whoever wants to pick it up. I, I think there is value, especially as we transition or you know we're done with the transition probably at this point away from the forum and onto Discord. G- getting anything to just like help people find things on the forum. And have an easy link of like, all right, I want to go on the forum, but it's a hassle. Just tell me where to go. Look, what's important. We could have a dedicated Discord channel that like people have permission to go to, and it's just EBC Wire. All right, here's your daily links to click here, here, and here. Someone should. It's not going to be me anymore, but I think there's ways you can do it even in the new age that make sense and legitimately help people. Okay, I want to pivot now to radio what keeps you coming back to it and and what keeps the media the medium fresh for you yeah again you're the perfect person to have this conversation with because if i'm in the top three you're there too for sure and the third (laughs) i mean it's probably not him but like i know a lot of people would want it to be i mean it's just it's it's fun i think you would agree having these conversations in audio form is oftentimes a lot more fun than having them in text form as great as it is to you know, post funny memes and all that stuff. Nothing beats a, a nice human-to-human conversation. And the only way you can have that in Eurovia is through radio, or at least it used to be the only way you could have that is through radio. I know a lot of people do it in voice chat and Discord. And again, I'm glad I'm having this conversation with you because I don't do that really in Discord, and you also don't really do that in Discord. And yet, we're like <laughs> the two of the most prolific people in radio. So it's not like we don't like talking. We're only doing it in a professional setting more often than not which is a whole other can of worms to dissect. But I do think that's interesting that we do that because, because I, I assume you would agree. The, the conversation part is really the most fun thing. Getting into a topic and like you start out, it's like, all right, we're going to be talking about this. This is our bare bones plan. Then you get on air, you have a full flourishing conversation if it's done right. And then you walk away like an hour later and you're just like, that was a really great conversation talking about something that I never get to talk about because of course, who do you talk to about nation states or Europia. And it's like the first time you vocalized any of these thoughts and then just thing leads to another. And it's like, not only did I have a really great discussion about what I wanted to talk about, but I also learned a whole other perspective and I come up with a new action plan and like, I'm really motivated. If you're talking about like any sort of serious discussion issues, election issues or legislative bills or all that sort of stuff, or if you're just having fun and you're doing choose your own adventure stuff, that's really great too. Um, because you're talking to people that you have been posting with for years and you talk with them and then just like they become like your real friends in a way that texting over a forum message, all that stuff can never really replicate. 
So that's what keeps it exciting and and fresh. It's just like the depth and the warmth that comes with radio that you don't get anywhere else in our region. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that assessment. I think the free-flowing nature of voice, it's it's hard to explain exactly the difference that it makes, but I think I've had so many more enlightening and interesting conversations on radio about topics because people are able to express themselves more fully and, and more completely uh, than they can typing out because you also have people to bounce things off of. It's a back and forth. You're building on each other's thoughts and and sentiments and and it's just sort of real in a very particular way. So I, I totally agree with with what you had to say about radio. The other thing that I think it's underrated or maybe overrated, depending on who you talk to about radio, is the live feedback. Something I, I again I, I really think we have a problem with in Europe is not rewarding the work that people put in media wise people write really amazing articles that they spend hours and hours on and they get posted and they get no reaction radio that almost never happens because you're going to get at least two listeners regardless probably of what you put out there so you know that somebody cares about what you did and you get instant feedback that you don't get by posting a long text post Sometimes you get a lot more than two, and it's really, really rewarding. You know, I try to, as often as I can, when I'm hosting a broadcast or being part of a broadcast, thank the listeners because, not just because I'm, you know, trying to butter them up or whatever, but like I really do appreciate it when people take the time out of their day to listen to, you know, instead of all the things they could listen to music, professional podcasts, TV, like they're like, no, I'm going to listen to two people on (laughs) nation states talk about whatever. It really means a lot that people care to listen to what we have to say in real time and, you know, give us their, you know, semi undivided attention uh, for any level of time. You you feel it in the moment in a way that you never do for text posts, um, which is another really big benefit of radio that I don't think we, we stress enough how, how much it means to people, at least to me. Yeah, Absolutely. One thing that I think we've struggled with historically is synthesizing our radio with our print media. Uh, It's been a goal for a lot of people to sort of incorporate audio clips into articles or to write articles about things that have happened on radio. I think we quite often have radio where we talk about articles, but the reverse is not true. So would you agree with that, that we haven't done a good job and do you think that it's something that's worth investing more time in figuring out how to create sort of a symbiotic relationship between those two things? And how would we do it? Yeah, I, I do agree. We've done a poor job of it over the years. And it is for a lack of trying. And, you know, we just decide term and term again. Just like it's, we have bigger priorities. A lot of times I agree with that assessment. You know, I've been the president to make that call that it's just, we have other priorities we need to focus on. There's other news that could be discussed for the first time rather than rehashing something that is already out there. And I think that's a fair judgment call to make a lot of the times. However, what it's meant, what it's meant is like we've contributed to a culture where it's like you put something out there on radio and people probably do listen to it live. Some people, and then we don't know how many people actually go back and listen to our show reel. Cause that's not, of data that's available to us but anecdotal evidence tells us most people 
don't go back and listen to a show that they missed on the show reel. I know I don't. I know you don't. We know most people on the radio don't. Some do. And, you know, bless them. That's honestly really great that people do that. More people should, including us, but we don't. The fact of the matter, you know, it's just a lot to commit to if you're not listening to it in real time. So that means if you're not there for that hour or two that that broadcast was on, it could have been the best discussion in the world and you're never going to hear it. With a text post, even if you don't get that instant feedback, instant reaction, and you don't get a lot of stuff, you know that people read it because they're going to be talking about it on Eurochat. It'll be discussed in the Grand Hall if it's spicy enough. Um, you'll see the impact of it. Radio never really has that impact where it's like everybody's buzzing about what people talked about on radio for days, unless it's like a real event, like a presidential debate or, <laughs> you know, uh, more, more in recent times, we've been, we've been blessed enough as like our meme reviews get buzzed about or our power player drafts get buzzed about, which is great and very rewarding, but it's never the serious stuff that pe- that sticks in people's minds. Um, in the way that we'd like it to, where everyone walks away from who's in that discussion is like, oh, we're really enlightened here. We've really touched on something. If we're debating a hot topic issue, that hot topic debate will continue in the Grand Hall in text form and not have any of the insights that were covered on radio. And it's just like, well, why did I even bother saying all of that if nobody was going to listen? Even if people literally did listen, it's like they don't retain any of that. It's a lot easier to quote and repost text stuff even if it's lower quality than audio, because it's just right there. So that's what people pull from. It is worth getting as much of the stuff on radio that we can into text form in some form or fashion, because it just makes it have that much larger of an impact, a much longer shelf life and a greater impact. Because by and large, we are a text-based game, whether that's on the forum, whether that's on Discord, whether that's on the RMB, that's the mode of our communication nine times out of 10. So having stuff that we can easily transport via text is just essential for something to really matter in our game at the end of the day. And we don't put enough effort into that. Again, I think a, a lot of times the right call was made because we do need to focus on getting new content out there. It's just a shame that we don't have enough time to get all that stuff out there. So I don't know what the answer is and how we're going to make that happen. We honestly would probably need a whole new volunteer core to do that. You know, like, oh, I, maybe that's the answer to the earlier question. What could OIM expand on? I think having a, a radio section would be great where we take stuff from radio and turn that into articles. That'd be probably the, the next, like, if I were to say, like, if OIM's next venture were to have any sort of success, I would want to focus on that. I'd want to focus on private radio to text formatting. That'd be great. It's not going to happen, though, because that's just so much work for people to do. And we already ask too much of people. It's interesting to me that the shows that you mentioned being buzzy uh, were the presidential or power player drafts and the meme review, because those are actually two things that have a consistent forum text component, uh, because the meme reviews always have Grab's article afterwards where he (laughs) compiles everything that we said and highlights certain things. And then the drafts always have the public poll with the teams listed. Uh, So there's a clear place for people to participate, even if they didn't listen to the show, because you can still look at the meme review article and see how things were ranked and 
and how people are doing. And you can, you can still see like what teams were picked in the drafts. And even without hearing what we said, you can use your own judgment to decide uh, which one is good and you can comment on it. So I think that is actually just reinforces this idea that having some sort of text component for these shows uh, actually makes a big difference and, and keeps them in the public conversation. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. Okay, Calvin. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. Obviously, this is not the first time that we've talked. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it is always a pleasure, but it is the first time that we've talked on the Ministry of Pod. Uh, so thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go, though, I just want to tell one little more historical story because I know people love those. I've probably talked about it on radio before. Since we were talking about um, my start in private media and all that sort of stuff, I've just been waiting for a way to wedge this story in here. But now we're at the end, so I'm going to wedge it in now because it's about you. So I feel like it's relevant to talk about. And again, I'm sure you've talked about it before. Uh, you remember that first article we did for the EBC together, the, the our political parties article? Do you remember that? Uh I'm not sure that I do, honestly. Okay, well, I'll give you a refresher. <laughs> so you remember uh, Zenny, the DAF, and like that whole controversy was going on, and it was just like, all right, we let's get an EBC article about that. Let's get a poll out there asking what people's membership is of all the different parties. Let's uh, see how people feel about all these things, and then turn it into a big EBC article. That was like my, f- I had just become Minister of Communications, and I was like, all right. I need to, again, make people take notice. This is something that everyone's talking about, this hot button topic. Let's turn it into an article. And I was like, who should I turn to to help me? Because this is going to be a huge undertaking. I've never even made a poll before. I've never done anything of note in this region other than like my two private media articles. I'm going to turn to Sopo because I know he does polls and he could probably help me out. Is this ringing any bells? Uh, yeah, actually, now that now that you bring up the context, I do remember this. Yeah, and that's like one of my fondest media memories. And it's like, what again, one of the earliest things that I did in this region. I was like week two, was getting involved in that really hot button topic debate, working with a friend, someone who would become a friend in the media sector. I don't even know if you were in, the, in MinCom at that point. Barely anyone was. But, you know, you're willing to help out. You taught me how to run a Google poll. You took all the heat in the grand hall. People are like, why are you even asking about this? Blah, blah, blah. Because there hadn't been a poll culture established yet. I really feel like that moment touched off the whole, that's a whole nother thing we could talk about for a whole nother episode. So I don't want to keep you too long here about poll culture, you know? But I feel like that moment, at least for me, was a big touchstone of just like, no, this is going to be part of our our day-to-day now. We're going to ask people what they think about different things whether it's uncomfortable or not, it's going to have some level of regularity and some level of professionalism. And we're going to carry that forward from time to time. And then we turned it into an amazing award-winning article from there. Our political, our current political parties, I still think it holds up great. It's a great historical piece and very you know topical at the time to understand what was going on, touchstone. It's just one of my favorite memories because it involves so many things that I love about Europia and our media scene. Getting people to focus on something that matters, collaborating on something that matters with people who know what they're talking about, and then turning into a really quality product. If anyone wants to think, like, things are impossible, I'll never get into anything in Europia, media is so hard, it's really not. If you focus on, like, what's around you, and you talk to the right people, you can make anything happen at any point in your career. And, you know, I just wanted to get that out there. So, anyway... 
thank you at that time and now for helping me, Sopo, because that really launched like a whole bunch of things for me in Europia and for the EBC and for the media scene. Uh, I don't think you get enough credit for. Oh, well, I'll I'll gladly take credit for your entire media career in Europia. Great. So thank you. <laughs> and thank you again uh, for making the time to be here on the Ministry of Pod. Yeah, happy, happy to do it. Big fan of the pod, as I said at the top. Still a fan now, even after I've gone through it. Great experience. Special thanks again to Calvin Coolidge and to our listeners for celebrating Media Day with us. This is the Ministry of Pod, brought to you by ENN. Have a good one. Thank you.